Could you imagine a medium like in the case of like 18 year old Sophie, you and like, hold on, hold on. She or you? Sam. Sam is the fi- like, ugh. Hi, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to Stage Door Medium. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 1, When We're Done, featuring Broadway favorite Sally Wilfert. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to uh, Season 2. So this is our first episode of Season 2, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you're joining us today. If you're new to the podcast, um, basically, I started it a year ago uh, as an exploration of uh, artistry and mediumship and finding the parallels and you know the beautiful similarities between what we do. And then I sit down with some really incredible Broadway artists uh, that I've read. And then we just, we talk about their reading and, and all these fun topics every week. So welcome. Uh, I have such an incredible guest today. Broadway debut in King David. Uh, gosh, I, I hope I'm right. Um, and then she was in Tom Sawyer. She's nodding, so that's a yes. And then uh, she was also in the 2004 production of Assassins on Broadway. And then uh, the national tour of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Please help me in welcoming Sally Wilfert to our show today. So, hi, Sally. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm so, I'm so happy I'm you're so here. Good. I am so glad to be here. It's Yay. the feeling is mutual. I I <laughs> I was so excited to to catch up with you. And so, oh goodness, um, I always like to start with just what have you been up to? Um, you know, during the pandemic, mm-hmm. how are you staying busy? Yeah, I am staying busy, which has been which has been uh, surprising, honestly. I, I thought that it would be, you know, me just putting logs on the fire for a really long time. Um, go out there and chop the wood. Um, uh, but yeah, honestly, uh, right after the pan, well, I was doing uh, the off-Broadway production of Trevor before we were put on hiatus. I was in rehearsals for that, and we were about a week away from going into the theater, and then everything stopped. So shortly thereafter, I, I was... Um, I think I was auditioning for Williamstown Theater Festival season at the time, and I ended up getting, and then they, pretty toot sweet, figured out that they were going to do their entire season um, on on Audible. So they basically made their entire season like radio plays, which is incredible. Oh, wow. And um, so I had a callback via Zoom for this new show that they're doing. It was their musical of the season called Row. Um uh, which is uh, music by um, Don Landis and book by um, oh my god, oh my lord, I'm gonna Dan, Dan oh my god, Dan, and I'm gonna hold on, I'm gonna <laughs> have a stroke here in a second. Goldstein, thank you, Daniel Goldstein. Sure. And then um, directed by Tyne Raffaelli, and it's um, about a true story about uh, Tori McClure, who was uh, the first woman to solo row across the Atlantic, um, and it's an amazing story. And so we did this all. I was hired. I did book the job. I had my callback, booked the job. And then uh, we recorded the whole thing, not until November, but we were in a studio and, and recorded the entire thing. And it's supposed to air, I think, in I think like this month, I believe. So it's kind of a, an amazing thing that happened. Yeah. What do you make of the Zoom auditions? Because I hear so many, I, some people like them from what I've spoken with. Some people don't. You Well, you know, I, 
I kind of have gotten in a groove with it, which is great. You know, back in the day when you would just have to do an occasional one, it was always felt very stressful, but now you're sort of in a rhythm with, you know, yeah. your setup and what you're doing. And, um, and so you have, you know, you either do self tapes where either a friend or someone in your household is helping you put that on tape, or they also do live on you, you are on a zoom with an actual casting director which is really lovely you feel you're not quite as much as in, in a vacuum you actually are getting feedback and yeah. um and so i don't really have anything negative about it other than it's just uh when you're doing it on your own you're directing producing you're memorizing you're doing your own styling you're just trying to you're trying to do it all which in a weird way too is a good thing because you have control over the whole situa situation so I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting time for sure. Do they mute or do they do they keep their audio on? So if it's a comedy and you do something funny, like can you hear them laugh during an audition or not really? Um, you you do. Yeah, you can hear them. Yeah, That's good. yeah. I mean, I think that they keep the casting person mostly live, and then everyone else who's just watching, they're usually on mute. Okay. Um, but sometimes you'll hear. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes you'll hear somebody having a conversation in their household. And they forget their. <laughs> No. That's the other thing. Yeah, I'm forgetting that like on their and they're in their house too. I'm like, oh, yeah. they're over at like Ripley Greer. You know, nope. Right? No, no. <laughs> they're all at home. And it, and that's what's fascinating because you also see everyone's homes. You know, you're seeing how they're living. And Oh, it's so crazy. The things that we don't think about, like, you know, the, they're not even blurring the background. So you're like, so then that's a whole nother thing that you have to compete with is this idea of. Oh, goodness. Well, the same for readings. Like I, I was mostly doing in person, obviously, prior to the shutdown. And now it's, it's, it's flipped so much where now if I have an in person, you know, and, you know, we wear a mask and we're like so far apart. I'm like, is your grandmother gone? And, you know, but I mean, like, <laughs> I'm like, they kind of, they try to come near me. I'm like, stay where you are, uh, you know, even with our masks. But now, I mean, now I prefer the Zoom setup because there's less you can see. So for me, it's it's thrilling in a way because you have nothing that you can try to subjectify. You just, you see a head and, and that's really yeah. it. Um, yeah, true. So true, true, true. did you know growing up that you were going to be an artist? I, I did. I knew pretty young. I had a very um, musical family. And so, um, um, especially on my father's side, there were a lot of my grandma, my grandfather, my uncles, they all played an instrument. My dad plays instruments. And so it was always, uh, especially at the holidays, there was always a lot of music going on. And, um, and I had parents that just threw, I had two sisters, threw both of my sisters into anything that would stick, anything um, in an, in, in anything in the arts, whether it was uh, music or theater or visual arts or anything, just kind of threw us into it. Um, I started taking piano when I was like four um, cause my sister was taking it and I thought, oh, this, this is great. She's doing that. I want to do that. And so then piano was really my focus. And then it wasn't until sometime in high school, I was always, you know, involved in the plays, but mostly playing the piano. And then sometime in high school, I kind of found my voice and, um, and I didn't want anyone to hear it. And so I would wait until the household was empty and I would play and sing. And, yeah. and I thought it was the most incredible thing I'd ever heard in my life. And I would cry and sing about myself. I would think, Oh my God, that's so beautiful. And, um, and it, and it was like my thing it was like my gift, my, my thing. And I didn't want anyone to fool with it. Right. Yeah. So, and then finally I, I kind of opened it up and let people hear me. And, um, and then I got the bug right away. I saw 
um, a, a course line, a tour of course line come through Cincinnati. And I thought, oh, wait, they're doing all of that together. They're doing it all. They're singing, there, there's music, there's dancing. And I also had, I was thrown into dancing too. And I thought, oh, oh my gosh, that's, that looks like magic. I want that. And yeah. so then I was, I was in, I was, I was on board. I went to a really small high school outside of Cincinnati and I was, but the, a beautiful, it was very diverse in that you had football players who were in the chorus and oh, wow. chorus people who were in, in other sports. And so everyone interacted. And so there was never like, here's only the sports people and here's the arts people. Everyone interacted. And, and so that was really cool. It was a very, um, that's so nice merged in that way. So that was good. And then where did you go to college? I went to Eastern Kentucky University, um, just a small regional college, yeah. and I got my, at the time, I don't think they had a BFA. I, I actually kind of created a BFA, um, but um, yeah, so I took, I was a piano minor, and then I did all the courses towards BFA. And then can I ask too, just because sometimes you can't always find these things about people. Like I, I was teasing Julia Murney. I was like, I call them like the Julia Murney lost years. I'm like, so what happened between, you know, Syracuse and then when we get to, um, was it like the wild party or something? So how did you, how did you make your Broadway debut? Like, did you move to New York right after college or were you working for a while before that? No, I moved, let's see, I went to, let's, I graduated college, I went to, um, I worked at Opryland USA, and then I worked at Tokyo Disneyland, I went to Tokyo for a while. Oh, get out of here. Who did I you know. play? I was in Western Lando, um, <laughs> and um, I was in the, the Diamond Horseshoe Review, yes, and I played <laughs> Slewfoot Sue, and I was like 20, I turned 22 in Japan. Wow. And... Um, it was the funnest time. I still have two of my very best, best, best friends we yeah. met in Japan. And and um, anyway, so came back from that. And, and Slufutsu also was a very Mae Westy character. And everyone before me, I thought, you know, they were like in their 30s. They were so much older than me to play the part. But I got it so young. Anyway. Um, Which really and, quick, there's like a hierarchy of the Disney characters. I read a book about this. And it seems fiercely competitive within Disney World of like, Oh, you're a face character, and you're like, yes. like I was like, oh, this is. And they said like the lunchroom was like highly segregated, like the princesses sat together, and like, oh, if you had a mask on, like one of the plastic vacuum form ones, like you sat over there. Big time. <laughs> yes, it's a very funky place. Yes. Keep going. I'm um, so sorry. That's wild. No, no, no. So I came back from Japan. I was back in Cincinnati. I, I, uh, I in the Cincinnati area. I, I auditioned for a production of Forty Second Street at. La Comedia Dinner Theater. I hadn't tapped in years. I did that. And then at the time, there was a new theater company being created in Cincinnati called the Ensemble Theater of Cincinnati. And they were looking to have a core group of actors and have a company. Wow. And I signed on board for a year of new plays and I got my equity card. So around that, so around then, right after that, so I was there for a year. So then I moved to New York. I think I was 23, 24, something like that. And so I moved to New York without a, an idea. I was like a complete innocent. My, I did not go to a conservatory program. There was no showcases. Yeah. There was no, I didn't even know what an agent was. I had no idea what I was doing, but I don't know. I had a lot of angels or something on my shoulder. Cause I just kind of like, I just, I was probably like being in a pinball machine. I was just like, Oh, I go there. Oh, I go there. And I just sort of met people and, 
they liked me, I liked them, and I, I just had a lot of good connections and worked really hard and yeah and and so there there you go and so I my um so my first Broadway show it I mean I had worked before then but I really it took a long time before I had my first Broadway show um I did different kind of work you know commercial work and some other um TV stuff but it just took a while for the I think I had to grow into myself a little bit honestly sure. I did regional jobs but just not Broadway do you have a favorite Broadway show that that, that you've done or just a favorite show in general Oh gosh, um, I loved. I was so lucky. I got to play Margaret in Light in the Piazza about oh, four years ago now. Is it four years ago or five years ago? Gosh, it's been that long. And I, I would have done that in a basement of a church. I don't care where it was going to be, but I, I booked a, uh, booked a, a show at Finger Lakes. Was at Rev at the Rev. Mm -hmm. Rev, yeah. Um, and, and it was also one of those things that I knew the two other women who were up for it. And I was, I know I was a little at the time, I was a little on the young side and I didn't book it. Actually a really good friend of mine, she booked it. And I was like, oh, it was as if I had lost the biggest job of a lifetime. It was yeah. so upsetting to me. But then the universe is so crazy. She ended up having to pull out because she booked a Broadway show. And then they called me and I was like, oh my gosh. So it was seriously one of the most beautiful parts I've ever played. Um, it was so wonderful. Yeah. I have goosebumps that it's one of my favorites. You know, I was not fortunate enough to seen it when, when it was at Lincoln uh. center, but I saw the broadcast obviously. And it was just one of those things where like, if I, if I could go back in time, I mean, we were, we were trying to, my spouse and I were even like, do we drive across the you know country to go see Renee Fleming in it with, with, oh, you know, Duff yeah. camera. I mean, when they, when they, yeah. was it Chicago when yeah, the production yeah, yeah. and, um, Margaret's got to be one of the most, and that score, Adam Gettle's score is just, mm. And Adam actually coached me before I did the show. I was able to work with him and he coached me on it, which was really cool. I guess starting something new, I, I, I posed some questions to, to viewers and I'm like, what types of things do you want to learn about? And one of the ones that came back first was this idea of what goes on in our head as a, as a, when I'm doing a reading and then as a performer. So I don't know. I don't know if you want to start. Like, can I ask? Like, and I feel like this has got to vary from performer to performer. But like, in order to give one hundred, and let's say we're talking about Piazza, then do you have to go somewhere different nightly up here? Is it kind of like you check out with yourself? Is it, or is it like a, I'm going to bring Sally to? I, I guess I would love to hear what it's like in your brain for two and a half hours on stage. I think um, my in my best moments of of being on stage and truly in, 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 in the embodiment of whatever character I'm playing, if I can do all of the work beforehand to really actually lay sort of roadblocks in that um, allows me to fully immerse myself. I mean, of course, I'm bringing parts of myself to that character as well, but if I can, it's almost like you keep your head going forward. It's like this very focused sort of place. Um, and the the best moments for me is when I come off the stage, whether at the end of first act or at the end of the show, where I feel that I have, I, I've almost forgotten what I did because I've disappeared so fully into it that I forget where I was. It happens in concerts sometimes to me if, if I am, if that, 
because I really feel like, especially if you're performing a single song or something, I really feel that it's my job to explore the lyric, express the lyric. It's not, and to let me get inside of the music and the lyrics so that I disappear. Because I feel that I, it has to, the song has to come through me and it has to be the, the star. I am not the star. I happen to be the vehicle, but it should not be about me. It has to just be about this moment and this lyric and this musical moment. And in a show, I am so, I am so connected to a role. It will bug the crap out of me if I feel that I am sort of going, wrote or, or kind of playing as if I understand what's going on. And I hate that if you will have an occasional um, night where you just feel not as connected. I know that I have to spend some more time either quietly before the show um, or that day not doing as much that I have to really or go back and look at my notes that we did during rehearsals or something so that I can remember and keep it fresh keep her fresh pre-show then what does your day look like do you lay low for the most part and like how do you get into that mind of before you go depends on, on depends on like here in New York it's a little more challenging because you have like I have other stuff going on during the day but I generally try to give myself a couple hours before the show so that I can kind of focus on what it is I'm doing. Um, and uh, yeah, I get, I get, I'm very sensitive to like, if I'm in a dressing room, I get very sensitive about too much noise or too much activity going on mm -hmm. before a show. What yeah. you said was so neat about this idea of like, you're kind of the vehicle or the instrument. Like it's, it's the exact same. Like, I feel like it's yeah. this neat thing where like I get to bring my personality to a reading and, you know, so if, uh, um, I, I, and that's to me, it's so important that I allow my own personality to come through and, and that, you know, I am somebody who by nature is pretty lighthearted and I like to use humor. So if I notice I have a client that gets emotional or upset, like, I'm going to try to find a way to like break that up. You know what I mean? Or, or but I always mm -hmm. like, I, I always have to go, all right, never forget. Like this isn't like, this isn't your story to tell, you know, you're, you're relaying someone's highest and best loved ones that are, that come through during a reading. And I agree. Like, I think people don't see the amount of work that goes in behind the scenes before a reading. Mm -hmm. So if I have somebody at five o'clock, like what you don't see is that by like three 30, like, I come to the studio, I, I, I've got, you know, my own rituals, like I sage it out and then, then I do Palo Santo and then I meditate and then I stretch and then I, you know, sometimes I might go for a walk if I don't feel in touch with my own yeah. body enough, because yeah. like you said, like you, you really can't autopilot it because they use my body as a way of telling me a bit of their life and story. Like as a medium, we have to train ourselves. Like if we really like the way something feels on our body, we'll go keep that as my symbol for so from here and out anytime I get that I know that's what this means so if I get knots mm -hmm. in my stomach that means colon cancer or digestive but so on that note then I can't be eating before a reading because if something doesn't sit well with me I'm gonna go did somebody pass from colon cancer when they're like no I'm like no that's my food is digesting you know what I mean yeah. so they don't I don't think people yeah. grasp that yeah um, that's so interesting I was just thinking about your uh, some of those rituals of stretching and yeah. I will usually always before the house is open um, in any show I'm doing in any theater I go on the stage and just have a, a moment if I stretch out there or just you know or if there's a fight call I'll stay after the fight call just to have a moment of quiet um, but I never I cannot eat before a show 
Yeah. Not a, I, people eat between shows. I have to eat very little. I have to feel empty. I cannot do, I can't sing nor it's not, it, it's in a play too. I can't, I just have to feel empty. Same here. And then, mm -hmm. you know, somebody had asked, um, I, somebody had asked, I guess to answer that really quick, they're like, well, what does it look like on my end? What I'm actually reading. And I guess for me, I'm not going to spend too long on it, but for me, it looks like typically they get in touch with me one of four ways. So it's either clear seeing or so clairvoyance, clear audience, which is clear hearing, uh, clear sentience, which is clear feeling, or just clear, uh, clear cognizance, which is just clear knowing. So for me, it's, it's so hard to describe. Like there's, I always say it's like when you're in art class as a kid and you bring in the leaf and then they, you know, they're like, bring in a leaf that you found outside and then you put the tin foil over it and you start to shade it. And you're like, oh, mm -hmm. I can see like the the vein, so to speak, of the leaf coming through, it's kind of like that. Like, I don't know. They're going to get in touch with me as best as they can. So there's times where like I might not know who they are to a person and I'll just go, hmm, like I have a really aggressive head pain up here. So aggressive head pain for me either means aneurysm, typically means brain tumor. Um, it can sometimes mean suicide. If it's gentle, it means um, Alzheimer's or dementia. It means... Um, Somebody might have fallen a couple times, but nothing that would have, you know, and then clairvoyance. There's times where like I can just look at somebody and go, oh, like you look just like your mom. Like, and then like the clear cognizance will kick in and I go, oh, just without even going, seeing them, I'll just go, mom is here. Sometimes I'll uh -huh. hear, sometimes I'll get up at like 6 a.m. to get ready for work. And I just keep hearing like dad, 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 dad. I'm like, okay, so somebody's father is going to be coming through today. So, and then from there, I mean, it, there's no one set way of doing it. Like, I think like kind of like you said, once you really start getting into the zone, you do kind of forget it. Like you leave yourself at the, I couldn't break it down during a reading. I couldn't go, well, oh, I think I saw that. And I think I heard that. And I think I felt that yeah. once, once the parts all move together, they just kind of blur. So. Yeah. And with, when you add the element of music and singing to like that, emotion and that connection you have to feel that that is um uh as uh, that is is connected it can't feel like okay now i'm going to stop and i'm going to sing it has to, the emotion of what's coming before what's going after and what's happening in between has to has to be just a fluid sort of feeling um and it bugs me if something gets in the way of that i like to feel that it's that i'm right in the middle of that and I do that because it feels like this to me. It just feels. Well, Piazza's got that moment where, you know, Margaret's giving the speech about how her daughter is leading the pony around. And then, yeah. boom, it, like it goes right into song where she says here. And, uh, right? right, it's like it's like that D flat. And I, 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 <laughs> it's like right there. <laughs> and you're like, oh, we're going into a song. And um, yeah. then you have and this it's gorgeous speech. song. It's like, it's like just extended monologue. And yeah. it just happens to be a piece of music that's extraordinary. What what was the best piece of advice Adam Gettle gave you to navigate that show? Um, uh, you know, what I found really interesting is he composed a great deal of it on the guitar. Yes. And I thought that was really wonderful because it sort of took the edge off, even though this music is, I mean, it's complicated and it's sophisticated, but there was also something very earthy about it. And so instead of, you know, feeling that you have to, you know, a lot of times when there's a big sing, you feel like you have to really put a lot of voice on it. But he, I think the best piece of his advice was just like, be easy with it. It's, it, it should just be an easy, you know, let it come out of you sort of it, that, that feeling, it should feel organic. Um, and I, that was a great 
lesson that it just you know you want to sound a certain way you want it to resonate in a certain way but if the less you fight with what you think it should be and just let it be it was that's he was exactly right well i think of his acoustic demo of love to me and how when you listen to the score it's in seven and you're like oh and you hear the harp and the guitar but then when you just hear the stripped down version of it you're like oh you said it fast it's so connected to like the earth Oh, yeah. I'd love to talk with you about Rebecca. And, um, you know, if you're listening at home and you're you're more into the mediumship end and you're not as familiar with theater, um, Rebecca Luker was this incredible Broadway performer with the voice of like to try. I can't even just I won't even try to describe her voice. It was just something angelic and transcendent to hear that type of voice. And I would just I would love to talk with you about what it was like to be her friend. How did, how did you meet? We met uh, in 2004. We were uh, both uh, doing a reading of Jenny Gearing's and Beth Blatt's show called The Mistress Cycle. And, um, and actually you spoke of Julia Murney. Julia was in it as well. Um, and uh, it was, it was five, five uh, woman piece about um, mistresses through the, the, the centuries and and I played the the mistress of the day and um, um, and Rebecca played um, oh gosh I forget what character but hers was like the, I want to say in the 17 no 1600s and I'm forgetting who it was anyway um, beautiful piece and I'm I met Becca I knew I knew of her of course and I was a fan um, but it was such a fast process there was none of these moments to sort of get you know oh my gosh Oh my gosh, who, who sure. is that? And, it, and she's such a, a generous, down to earth person. So we, I literally, whatever, we were on a break and I said, I'm gonna go to the bathroom because we were talking she said, I'll go with you. And so we went to the, the loo together and she went in one stall and I went in the other next to each other and she started talking to me. So we're sitting on the toilets, just like. Burp, 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 burp. And are and you I like, thought, oh my God, Rebecca Luker's talking to me while I'm peeing, like. <laughs> person I was just like oh she's kind of cool and I like I said I have sisters I love women and I'm I'm so comfortable with with women and I you know so literally we we started talking on the toilet and um about there was no like she's like where are you from what are you doing like we just got to know each other really fast and and it I don't ever remember a moment where it wasn't like that that's kind of the beginning and how it just went and so we were friends immediately and just fell in love with each other and we had similar yet very different backgrounds. I mean, she's from the deep South. She's from Alabama. I'm from Cincinnati, outside of Cincinnati. Um, I'm from Ohio, but we were kind of raised in very similar ways. Um, and we had similar senses of humor and, um, and then we loved each other's voices. She would just, you know, sit and listen to me and be like, Oh my God. And I would listen to her and be like, Oh my God, you know, and, um, and then we realized in singing together that it was this very special, sound that we had together and um so then she asked me to guest on some solo shows of hers and i asked her to guest on things of mine but through all this through the years we were just you know the best of friends and we supported each other in shows we were in we'd go and travel to see each other and yeah and uh and and then in um i mean yeah what do you do with the best girlfriend you just do everything together and um and then in uh, 2008, 17, we were asked to do, um, be a part of 54 Below's duo show that was happening the following year. And, um, and I think 
I think Jen Tepper contacted me and I said, and then I asked Becca and she was like, yes. And so we just decided to write this um, club act together, which was a blast yeah. to do. They always say, don't go into business with your family or your friends or don't write a show with your friends. It was never, it was just the funnest thing. And so there we got, we, we did that. And then we did it again at Merkin Hall in 2019. And that was around the time that she was having some, before that she was having some symptoms that we didn't know what was going on with her. And then she was diagnosed with ALS about two months after we did our show in 2019. How did your album come about then? Like, did you, was this, was this, if you're listening at home, I'm referring to, to the, the duo album, all the girls, which, which it's just, it's just so incredible. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it came out the day after she passed or the two day of? after mm-hmm, the 25th, she passed away on the 23rd and, um, and it was coming out digitally on the 25th. Christmas day. Um, wow. So it's kind of a one of a kind, crazy story how the album happened. So shortly after our Merkin Hall uh, performance, which was an extended version, it, we Merkin Hall asked us to make it. Um, it was 65 minutes at 54 below, and they asked us to make it 90 to 95 minutes at Merkin Hall. So we expanded it. We did it. We were, and and by the grace of God, um, we recorded it. Um, just we thought for archival purposes, we thought oh because we were. We had already started kind of booking it around the country to in different venues. We had like the club version and we had more of a concert version, which was great. So a um, little after that, Tommy Kresker of PS Classics um, contacted us and just said, you know what, I'd love to, to for you guys to record this album. And we said, fantastic. Um, and then we were set to go into the studio April of uh, 2020, and then the pandemic hit. So we had to put that on hold. In the meantime, also Becca had been diagnosed, um, and so by the time and she was, you know, her she was declining. Um, it was it was it was fast progressing, um, and so we were. By the time we were able to safely go back into the studio, it was August of 2020, and sure, it had it had progressed so much that she was not able to record. So we thought, oh wow, what a sad missed opportunity. And then Tommy, who was just brilliant, said, wait a minute, did you guys say you recorded it in Merkin Hall? Yes. So he said, can you get me those masters? We got in the masters. And then he said, I'm going to make this into a live recording with what we did. And then he said, and then he and Joe Falk and our musical director spoke. And then they contacted me and they said, and Becca, and said, hey, we have this crazy idea and it's 10,000 times more work, but we think we can take what you did at Merkin Hall, eliminate all the audience out of it and make it a studio recording. So then Joe went, we, so the vocals you hear is actually from 2019 and then the musicians there. And then in this, and then Joe wrote more arrangements and expanded a lot of the, the instrumentals for each track for many of them. And, um, and then in the magic of the studio, Bart Meigel, the producer went in the studio and did all this and put it all together. And that's what you hear now. Get out of here. Yeah. That's that's wild. It really is a one of a kind story. And the Becca was, so by the time we were, it was about the beginning of December when we we were starting to listen and listen to all the the edits. And so Becca, we just lived uh, seven blocks from each other. So I was like wearing a path back and forth and we would go and set up speakers and Joe and Becca and I would sit and listen and, make notes and copious notes and she was like 
so happy and so on the top of her game. It made her focused. It made her so, so it, it made, helped her forget about what was happening to her. Um, and that she would, she would sit in her wheelchair and with her, with, you know, everything that was going on around her and she could actually, actually, um, be creative and, um, and do what she loved to do. And we just made notes after notes after notes. So we finished all of those edits and she could, she heard the final product and we wrote the thank yous and everything together. And then, um, and we, we were finished by probably like the 20th and then she passed away on the 23rd. Holy cow. And then like you have in a weird, bizarre way, you have this beautiful parting gift of, I I mean, I know when I spoke with you after to extend my condolences, I was like, if that's not the universe's way of like, here is one gift, like that I'd like to leave with people before I go like this beautiful, I mean, just what an honor that, that you were able to do that with her. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's sorry. Oh no, Um, it's okay. I'm so, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's good. It's good. I mean, it's, I, you know, I love her. So yeah, that it was like that I was able to, um, uh, grieve and also, celebrate her at the same time um yeah. uh that she was with me I mean, it gave me such comfort the minute that that it came out on the 25th oh, i downloaded it and i was able I to be in a car and i was i would just listen to her it made me so happy and i would cry and listen to and remember how we wrote everything and how we came to picking the music and just all of the the, the little details um within every track and just i have such beautiful memories of creating that with her. So it's, it's a real gift, truly a gift. I remember distinctly when I called you to set up the appointment for the reading. I, I remember where I was. I was sitting right on the couch. And while we were speaking, all of a sudden they showed me a female. And whenever I, I see somebody rocking, it means like we're, we're undergoing some difficulty. And I don't know, I don't know if you remember this, but I'm like, do you have a friend, a female friend or like a sister or somebody who's sick right now? And I was like, this isn't COVID though. And I was like, but it feels like degenerative. And, and you had mentioned it. And you're like, and do you remember that? I do. I do. And um, I remember we had talked about, and that was truly, I mean, that was something where my clairvoyance kind of took over. Cause I remember I described, I think the room or something. I'm like, are do you, and I remember I asked you, I was like, this doesn't make sense to me, but I was like, do you, do you write? Are you a, a writer? And you're like, no, and I'm like, but I feel like you wrote this this show or something, and then you had mentioned it, and we had talked yeah. about, um, we had talked about the singing together, and I was like, whoever this is, I'm like, I'm being told to tell you that, like, you guys just send up like basically light, uh, you know, to the universe and gratitude for for just the gift to sing together. I, I remember I described it as something like a communion of sorts, just this this religious experience, and just um it really was i mean singing with her was transcendent it really was we we never had to discuss uh within a phrase or within a song or in in any beat of anything we 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 could feel each other we could feel i could feel when she wanted to push or pull or get a little softer add vibrato we could just mirror each other and we never had to discuss it and we just kind of followed followed each other yeah and we would blend our voices you can Truly, there were times that we would listen, and we we would forget who was on top, who was on bottom. I couldn't and, tell on the album. Yeah. 
I mean, we sound so, we have such distinct sounds separately, but together it was a just a wicked, crazy mind game that we would, we would listen back to rehearsals and I would say, what, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't tell. So, and, and a lot of the vocal arrangements we wrote so that we literally are diving in and out of each other. We, there's never a time that we're consistently on top or bottom. So we did that purposefully. I wanted to um, ask you that. Yeah, like in the, um, what is that, in the, uh, uh, is it All the Girls? Yeah, in All the Girls, we, we do this uh, thing at the end that's like, um, uh, be careful, uh, yeah. be, be, be careful, uh, and she's on top, and then she dives down to the bottom, and I'm on top, and Dear Theodosia, same thing, we just keep flipping parts, flipping yeah. parts, flipping parts, from phrase to phrase to phrase to phrase. Um, yeah, it was kind of cool. I, yeah. I could not. I distinctly remember I was driving into Target and I had on, I forgot which song I had. And I'm like, I was like, I had no clue who was who. I mean, that's how fluid it was. And just, yeah. but you said it best. You you do have very different sounding voices, but on the right. album, it's a bit of like a, like a, like a mind. You're like, what? Like a. <laughs> it is. It really is. Can I ask, I mean, if, if, if it's okay, what's the, I, I guess, what's the biggest thing that you can say that. Becca taught you? And then if, if you were to go, I think this is one thing that I taught her. Mm, oh gosh. If it's, oh, if wow. it's okay, if not, we don't have to. You know, she, she had such a positive attitude all the time. It was just a, sort of part of her DNA. She always looked at the cup of life as half full, which I think is, and I am like that, but she would always say, if I was worried about anything, she, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. There was never, it, she would, she would always kind of try to pull you out of any worrisome situation. And then she had something that she said to me that stuck with me always. Um, like say we would go to talk, talking about an audition or talking about a performance or something. And she'd say, you know what I like to do? I like to think about how I'd like to feel after I'm finished. And I thought, wow. Like, how do you want to feel when you're done? When you come off the ice, how do you want to feel? How do you want to, you know, do you want to stay with yourself? I mean, I always say when I go into an audition room, I want to go in with myself and walk out with myself mm -hmm. because you can get very caught up in everybody else's energy in the room. It's like, no, I actually want to make sure that I'm being true to me. And so she would, she would, that, that was like the best piece of advice is I just like to think about what I want to feel like when I'm finished. And that, oh I just think that was who she was in life too. Yeah. Um, but she was also um, uh, just, she always was very quick to help people. She always said yes. She was always just a yes person. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And if I taught her, if I can say, if I taught her something, um, hmm, um, that it's okay to ask for help. I think I would, I, I think I was a, I think I was a, um, a good place. I mean, we, we confided in each other about so many things and we were always, you know, we'd always say that's the vault, keep it in the vault. And, um, I think I was a safe place for her to, to land. Um, and also I think I taught her that I never, that there's never judgment. I never, there's never any judgment. Yeah. You can say anything to me and I will never judge ever ever. And so I think I taught her that it's, it's okay to just be real with 
the people that you love that you can actually let it all hang out and no one's going to judge you for being just real you know thank you for for sharing i'm just so grateful that i got to learn a little bit about her too i think as a as an arts fan and I, I think yeah. we only hear like the professional side of, of folks sometimes. So it's so neat to, and beautiful to like hear these stories from she's, your perspective. Yeah. yeah. And she's just, she's just a real down to earth person. You know, she's, um, she, the, she, we wrote a lot of our, the album um, in the Poconos at her um, lake house. Yeah. And I mean, when we loved cooking together, it was always, there was always, food there was always planning of menus was that was also another outlet of creativity um she loved cooking loved and she was a great enter entertainer she's a great host and um and we play ukuleles together and sing together and um but she you know she's she was she was the one that was out with that mower mowing that lawn and she was weeding and she was she's like she was earthy she yeah. was a very yeah. earthy and in her 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 um professional life you know, she was, everyone saw her as this, you know, beautiful, um, angelic sort of person. And she also played characters that, you know, were, uh, you know, Marion and, and um, in the Secret Garden that were these, you know, regal sort of um, uh, beautiful women. And she is that, but she also was this very earthy person. And she could tell a dirty joke like nobody else. And she could, you know, laugh and lay her head back. I mean, I, I love remembering her laugh. Cause we could, we could laugh at everything. And I mean, just like doubled over cackling and <laughs> just potty mouth, just potty mouth, just potty mouth person like sailors. Those and, are the best types yeah. of people though, yeah. where you can be so graceful. And then in the next minute, just drop the, just drop the F bomb. And you know, when it, when I do meet those people, I'm like, come sit next to me. I'm not going to say the cuss word we said, we like the F word a lot. So that was, good. that's a, uh. It's, it's such a good word. Um, <laughs> I, re I remember too, you know, when, when I read you, um, I, I guess I, I you know, I, I, I can bring it up. I, hopefully if that's okay, because sometimes people ask me like, do you get scary things or do you get bad things in readings? And the answer is always no. Like I will never get anything that's going to mm -hmm. scare me or, or it's not about me. I never get anything that's going to scare the client just because I say like, I don't want to know that. However, I will at times get things that are worded as precautionary just because I always say our loved ones mm -hmm. love us and they want what's best for us. And I remember, I remember distinctly asking you, I was like, do you get seasonal affective disorder? And you said no. And I remember there was a pause. And I think in that moment I put, I put it together and I just went, oh, okay. And I was like, well, and I was like, well, why did I get that? Because that's not, and then I just went, they're just telling her to to really know that they're going to take good care of Sally in December. Because I remember I mentioned December. I was like, you know, um, yeah. just take good care of yourself. And I didn't know fully, but I had a pretty good feeling. I was like, I think this is where they're going with this. And um, if it's okay with you, is there anything that you feel comfortable sharing from, from our time together? Because you had never been read before, correct? No, I had not. It's your first time. Um, <clears throat> uh, I had talked with an astrologer before, but I had never spoken with with um, a medium before. Um, I think I always, always a little uh, hesitant, um, not because I was afraid, but I just thought, I, I think I, 
maybe I was afraid. Maybe it was that I was afraid that there was going to be something revealed that I was sure not going to want to hear. Um, but uh, it was so. It was just. It was comforting. I know that it felt very comforting. There were people that came through um, that I really needed to have a connection with. Um, my my voice teacher Donald came through. So, and my grandmother that I didn't. I, I just didn't know she was so present in my life. And I think that what was so wonderful is that it actually rejuvenated my thoughts for her with her. And it also, it, it um, sparked this wonderful conversation with uh, my mom um, and my sisters about my grandmother. And, you know, sometimes you can lose people in your memories and it just kind of sparked a whole um, conversation with my family, which I was really grateful for. Um, there was something that you said, something like, and I'm not sure if it was, this was, I think this might have been Homer that said this, my other mentor who passed away, um, that he said, you work so hard and you don't give yourself enough credit. And I was like, oh, that's, yeah, yeah it was so true, but it was so meaningful to me. And it really, it um, inspired me to, to give myself more credit. Because I, I do. I work very hard at everything I do. So, And for yeah. somebody listening at home, I guess that's more skeptical. I am the first one to admit there are times that there are going to be messages that sound generic. Mm -hmm. But then it's also interesting, though, like, it might not be. I mean, because, like, I know of people that sometimes give themselves way too much credit. And, and they, they don't do the work, but then they, they act like they deserve all these accolades. And... But it's interesting, like if even if the like I think of back to I think back to my grandmother before she passed and some of the advice she gave when she was here alive was so generic and I was like, Oh, just her always telling me like 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 you said with Rebecca, everything's gonna be fine. And I'm like, Oh, that's a generic but in that moment, like I go back and I'm like, That's what I needed to hear. Like that's yeah. what I needed. Yeah. And I always say the same works for mediumship. They're gonna give the specifics about who they were little tidbits about themselves but sometimes those messages are just going to be i'm proud of you i love you yeah. you know give yourself a pat on the back like sometimes the messages will be very specific like recently i read somebody where i was like they want you to know that they didn't suffer at the end and while it sounds generic they said some extra stuff i'm like because i'm like were they not able to have too much morphine because it would have mixed with medication that they were also on and it basically would have been like instant death and she was like oh my god so like yes and so it, wow. sometimes it's really specific and it, it you know and i will always if i know that it sounds a little too generic i'll go okay can you give me something a little bit more or i'll mm -hmm. treat it as like a trade where i'll go in addition to this a yes or no give me one little tidbit about yourself so then they'll say things that i remember yours yours was the first reading that I had done and, and really ever I think where I had a mentor come through normally it's, it's parents it's it's cousins it's um friends mm -hmm. and I remember I was stretching I was I'm like pointing behind my laptop right now because I was doing some stretches and I remember I, I kept hearing mentor 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 I'm like mm -hmm. all right so like I write everything down before reading just in case so I don't forget it and I remember it, I was like I hope this makes sense. And you're like, no, this was one of the folks that I, that I wanted to come through. So I don't know. It's just, yeah. um, yeah. Oh. yeah, it was, it was like such a, the whole reading was, um, um, 
I just, I, I loved every minute of it, honestly. And then you also mentioned my grandmother liked to come in through my window, like Peter Pan. Yes, 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 yes. She was always laughing. Remember, she was always laughing. Yes. And then she said good things about my husband. Oh, and then somehow my husband's grandmother came through. Do you remember this? Mary. You said there was a Mary and it was my husband's grandmother. Yes. And she said, whatever it is you're doing, it was something about his back. Yes, 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 yes. Remember? Well, let me tell you, he's like, He's he's been doing like these this trifecta sort of approach to his back, and she said, "Keep doing what you're doing," and that's what he's been doing. And he it gave it, I told him I said, "You're not going to even believe this," and I told him, and he was and he just got, it gave him so much comfort and also just um, the endorsement of that. <laughs> he was just so relieved by that. He's like, "Okay, okay." Is he feeling better? Is he feeling he actually better? Actually, is yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. I always say when you are, and that's the, that is the one tricky thing though about doing Zoom readings is that in my space, in my office, if we, if we meet face to face, you're in my space only. So I know that there's no one else. Oh, right. When you are in a shared space, like recently I read somebody and I was like, I'm really sorry, but I'm like, I'm going to try my best. But there's a lot of energy around here that's not yours. And she was like, well, I live in a big apartment building. I'm like, no, it's not that. I'm like, she was she was from New York, and I'm like, apartment buildings are apartment buildings. I was like, this is. I'm like, do you have roommates? And she's like, I have three, and they're all home right now. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's what's going oh on. So, so really, I mean, it's so hard to explain what it looks like on my end because, think of like what are the like those Venn diagrams where like where or the, where that you see the middle overlap of the circles. You kind of have to go, okay, I'm tuning out this part of the circle, this part, this part, this part, and I'm just going to the middle that's like, or excuse me, just the part that's just for you, I should say. I, I goofed that up, but. And now it's time for some last minute questions. If you were stuck as a ghost in a theater for all of eternity and could only watch the same musical over and over, what would you pick? Honestly, I think it would probably be Sunday in the Park with George. That's a good choice. It's a solid choice. Like mm. with yes, the original cast or just say it to me. Tell me not to go. Tell me that you're hurt. Tell me you're relieved. Tell me that you're bored. Like I could do that. I, I mean, that helped me through my divorce. With, with Is People it a particular too. cast like Bernadette or could it be any cast? It would probably be Bernadette. Probably would. <laughs> I probably would. I just, <laughs> or me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, that that, that might role that went uh, that role uh, that I, that's the one that got away. One of those that got away. Like I, but I, I'll, I'll be singing some of those songs someplace. Well, here's what's wild. This might be the answer to this question. I was gonna say if you could role swap with somebody, like a role that made somebody a star or solidified their stardom. Like if you could time travel and take that part from them, what would it be? Would it be Dot? I don't think so. I don't. No. I love listening. I just love those lyrics, and I love that. I don't think I would time travel to to play Dot. Um, hmm. I think I might time travel to Barbara Cook playing Marion in Music Man, maybe. Because I like. There's one. If there's one voice that I've been told like over and over again, there. You know, who you sound like I'm like young Barbara Cook. I know. It's just something that sometimes I am, you know, in auditions and people bring up and I've been told that many yeah. times that I sound like her, but I, and I met her and, and, you know, 
got to got to know her, which was amazing. But I think That's I would wild. probably go back and, and do that. Yeah. I always think of the Barbara Cook tribute, the Kennedy Center honors, where where Rebecca came out and like Barbara Cook's energy though, like I think because she was, I think so moved by it though, her face was so serious the entire time. And I remember watching, I was like, is she pissed? And I remember my spouse was like, no, I think she's just, she's just very moved. But I was like, you know, her energy was like, so like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I watch that one all the time. Sometimes I'll just YouTube yeah. search it. I'm like, just all of them, Sutton Foster and then Patty okay. and then Audra and Rebecca. Yeah. I'm like, oh my yeah. God. Um, yeah. This is one of my favorite topics is wigs. So what's your favorite lace front wig to date that you've worn in a musical? <laughs> mm. Let's see. Lace. Let's see. Uh, uh, oh, gosh. Let's see. Oh, um, yeah. There, well, there's, um, God, there's a couple of them. Um, I, I actually loved my wig in Tom Sawyer. Really? What really was it? Yeah. It was a very, you know, because we were all in bonnets and everything, but it was this beautiful, I never get to wear brown. I'm usually either in like, in a, like a strawberry red, like a red or, or a good blonde. Yeah. Um, but this was like brown and, um, and it just had a beautiful updo in it. And even though it was under a bonnet, anytime we were changing our bonnets and stuff, I was always like, oh God, she's so pretty. And it was a beautiful wig. One character that you've played that you think would benefit most from a medium. <laughs> oh goodness um oh gosh i did a show at, at good speed it's called element op and she needs to talk to a medium okay her name was um uh, uh Gwen, Gwen, guinevere guinevere was her name and she just had a she just drank the kool-aid in that show it was a, it's about a town who loses they start losing letters in the alphabet and so you can only speak words without those letters or else you're arrested and a lot of times killed and the whole show you start getting distilled into i mean it's a big wow. statement on on freedom of speech yeah um it's, it's actually a really cool show oh my gosh she was a member of the town and she started sympathizing with the other side basically it was like you know if she became a trumper yeah kind of thing. and so in the wow. end she ended up gathering her kid together and she realized okay I've done, she, she saw the light, but then she felt such guilt, guilt about it that she poisoned her son and then shot herself. I think some people could have helped her. Two, 300 years from now, when we're all not here, how would you want folks to look back and, and remember Sally Wilford? Hmm. Uh, I think I would like them to look back and think that she gave a lot, that she was a generous spirit. That's what I would like to, I feel, yeah, I like to give. I'm a, I'm that person. Um, I feel like I was put on this planet for something very specific. And I think people, um, I think a lot of times share things with me, even though sometimes I don't even know them that well. And I think, why are they telling me this? But I think there's something that is of my spirit or maybe written on my head that I can't see. Sure. But I feel like. I, I'm, I'm a good listener and I feel like that I would like people to think that she was a, a giving spirit and that she'd like to help and give back. I don't know. And you're the vault. You got the vault. Like you talked about. I am the vault. You're I the, am vault. the vault. Sally, the vault, Wilford. That's what I'm going to call you now. So I think Margaret could also have a medium. 
I think Margaret could. Oh gosh, could you imagine? I mean, Margaret. I feel like Margaret would need it more for like the present. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. not so much connecting, but this idea of, yeah. especially releasing guilt with 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 yeah. her daughter's accident, because I feel like yes. Margaret guilts herself so heavily for this, and just this idea of, oh God, like I I get so emotional thinking about the end of the show this idea of you know with, with fable this idea of like is my kid gonna be okay and yeah. i don't believe yeah. in love like it didn't work for me but that's not to say that it's not gonna work for but you also that her daughter's giving her hope i mean margaret we we don't really know but margaret doesn't go back to her husband i mean that's how yeah. i like to think about it so somehow she has seen something that is true and that it can work yeah. and i think that margaret is saying wait because she says um, you know, Clara, the light in the piazza. That's the last thing that she says. Mm -hmm. And it's oh, just like, so oh, maybe she has seen the light as well. We I mean, she's walking her. toward the light as well. I mean, I mean, Absolutely. she, yeah. maybe yeah. she uses Clara's phrase, you know, and I feel like she's like, I get it now, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. I'm yeah. going to listen to that yeah. album on the, on the yeah. drive home. There's also Lauren. I played Lauren in Sea Rock City off Broadway, and she could also benefit from a medium too. I feel it's like so many. That, that's, that's a great show for you to listen to too. That's Which cool. one? Sea Rock City. Sea Rock City. Okay, I'm gonna write that down. Um, yeah. I also feel like Donna. I would want to be able to tell Donna who the father, yes. who the father of the dad is, or excuse me, who's who Sophie's dad is. Exactly. Um, that's, <laughs> I know I played her twice. You would think that I would that I would remember that. Could you imagine a medium yeah. like in the case of like eighteen year old Sophie? You and you're like, hold on, hold on, what is that? She <laughs> or you? S Sam. Sam is the like. Oh, uh, that's right. a, a medium. Well, I want to thank you so much for for being my thank special you. guest today. Um, oh you God. are you are a light. You are pure joy. I, like I said, I can't wait to come visit you in New York. We'll get some coffee yes. and we'll do yes, a please. we'll do a walk, and it's gonna be great. So, yes. oh my God, um, I love that. Well, until then, be well, and I will I will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Hi, everyone. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you want to learn more about Stage Door Medium, please feel free to give me a follow at Stage Door Medium on Instagram stagedoormedium.com and on YouTube, Stage Door Medium as well. I hope you're well and we'll see you soon.